Hey folks, Season 4, Episode 6 of the AppSec Podcast. On this episode, I'm joined by Ofer Mayar, and Ofer tells us about his journey as a pen tester transitioning into the world of application security, and also some of the experiences he had in working in various startups. Ofer's also running for the OWASP Board of Directors, and so we're happy to uh, help him get the word out about his candidacy. Hope you enjoy. The Application Security Podcast. Here we go. Hey folks, welcome to the AppSec Podcast. Coming to you live from a room overlooking Westminster Abbey. Abbey, thank you. I think I was struggling with that a little bit early. Um, you just heard Ofer, who is my guest in this interview. And uh, Ofer, would you just tell the audience, what is your security origin story? If there was a comic book, what would episode one describe in your security life? So I've been doing security for over 20 years now, which I still can't believe myself. <laughs> um, I started security while I was in the military. Okay. Um, did a bunch of IT stuff and started rolling into security uh, and found it interesting. And so I stuck. And just after leaving the military, I joined a small security company that was in 2000. And I started doing application security pen testing when it was really just new wow it was a great time we invented tons of new techniques and did a lot of stuff and everything then was so easily hackable <laughs> and you think was, it's i think it's easy now right like remember uh, back in 2000 if if i knew in 2000 all the things i know now i could have done even much more <laughs> isn't uh, it funny how sql injection still exists it's amazing <laughs> i mean it was amazing back then it's amazing it's 18 years gone and it's still almost the same we're still solving the same problems so yeah so then so you're at the pen testing company and then where'd you go from there so i i joined uh imperva in its okay. early days uh it was a good ride um saw how hard doing a waff is and then i started my own pen testing company later okay uh called hactics uh was a good run we did it for a few years and then we sold it and spun off another company from that called seeker okay uh and that was later acquired by Synopsys, which is where I am today. Okay. Uh, so I've had the chance of pretty much doing every side of this. Attack, defense, secure development, penetration testing tools, penetration testing services. It's been a good ride. Yeah, so what's the hardest out of that list you just had of offense, defense, secure development? What's, what, what, do you, what do you think is the hardest part of that, that stack? The hardest part of that stack is getting development to be on board. All the rest is just different types of technologies. They're all hard because software is so complex and changing. It's not like networking, right? Firewalls came, they're pretty simple. I mean, sure, there's a lot of technology there, but there's protocols, there's clear definitions. All the attempts to automate things in software are just much harder because there's a new way to do something in software every hour. Yeah, so do you see this as a people problem then? I, I think the hardest part is the people problem. There's a lot of problems, there's a lot of technology, but I think at the end of the day, and this is what I've always been telling, we can 
come up with a lot of technologies, but at the end of the day, security problems are bugs in the code, and the only people that can fix them are the developers. Yep. And they have to be on board on doing that. And that is still a huge challenge in, and I'm gonna make up a statistics here, 95% <laughs> of the customers. Yeah, no, that's, that's my experience as well, is it, it's, this is a culture problem first. Uh, secure, when, when, you, when you get to the point where a security culture, where developers understand why they need to care about this stuff, it just changes their whole perspective on when you ask them to do something. Right now, we have this bad habit of we just hand them a static analysis report, and there's 20,000 entries in that static analysis report, and they look at it and they go, what am I supposed to do with this paper my kid's room at home? And yeah. they throw it in the recycling bin. Instead of we giving them one sheet of paper that has three issues where they can then go, oh, this looks like something I can actually do something with. Um, so yeah, people problem. So, and, and, and I would say the other side of people problem is also on, on our side, on the security side. A lot of the people in security, as they come from a very technical background, they tend to see things in a very technical way. Oh, there's a vulnerability, you can hack that, and that's hackable. It's a black and white sort of thing. But the reality is businesses don't run in black and white. Businesses run on risk management. Yep. And security is just another risk. For us, sometimes it seems like this is the risk. But for the company, there's a lot of risk. Fixing security vulnerabilities slows down the business. That's a financial risk for the business. Not fixing introduces security risks. It's another risk. And we have to be smart about giving them enough data mm -hmm. to know how much of a risk this is, not in a black and white sort of, yes, it can be hacked. Yeah, but how likely it is? What mm -hmm. value does it bring? And do you where... think most, do, most security professionals, do you think they have that perspective of, risk, of true risk management? Unfortunately, no. There are people that have it, but a lot of people don't. And, and you have to remember, security is a very young field compared to a lot of other fields, and it's been very hyped in the last five, six years. So we have a lot of newcomers, and they learn all the technical stuff because that's what you're first of all expected to learn. But getting that maturity view of risk and understanding risk, that takes a longer path. I used to do the same mistakes too 10 years ago, right? Yeah. It, it takes time. Yeah, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on record and make a lot of people mad here, but I think we put too much emphasis on offensive as an industry versus defensive and the secure development things that you talked about there. And everybody wants to hack things. They want to be a pen tester. You know, I, all these, I talk to lots of different kids, as you probably do, coming out of college, and what does everybody want to do? I want to hack the planet, right? That's their goal, and it's like we only need so many people that are truly <laughs> offensive, and that's already a pretty full field. But it's cool. It so is. I had a pen testing company, right? It was the oh, yeah. coolest part of my career. I spent, you know, every week I went and gave another lecture demoing cool stuff. We used to do when we did pen tests, we used to record a video of the exploit we created. You go to a customer meeting. It's cool, right? Yeah. Building secure development methodology is not cool. So that's <laughs> part of one of the things that we have to deal with. But I agree with you. We need to help and enable developers to build secure code. This is the only way we're going to beat this problem and bring the risk to an acceptable level. Yeah, because if we're sitting here in 20 more years and SQL injection is still number one on the, if the OWASP top 10 still exists in 10 years or 20 years, like what are we gonna, like is that is that even gonna be a good thing? I don't think so. And yeah. so yeah, SQL injection has gotta be the, uh, 
the way that we we have to put that away. We have to put it behind us. And, and I don't know. Hopefully, you and I are here in 20 more years at AppSec EU, hanging out, and we've got it all. All these things are figured out, and we can all just get together and have a party. But. Yeah, I I'm doubtful. But hopefully, when we sit here in 20 years, we are will be dealing with new problems instead of <laughs> we can only the hope. old problems. We can only hope it's new problems and not uh, the same <laughs> the same ones that we have now. Um, at least CSRF went away from 2013 to 2017, so a little bit of progress has been made here in the world of AppSec. Yeah, it's it's not clear though if it really went away or it just didn't make the cut. Well, they went. <laughs> They, they, they got much more data-driven yeah. in 2017, and they started looking at... So it may have been that 2013 C-Surf was more of a feeling. I got a feeling this is kind of a bigger problem, but then 2017, the numbers didn't really back it up. I think right. it fell to 12 or 13. I mean, it was, it's still not out of the, out of the, 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 the whole realm. So, uh, But yeah, that's, that's definitely good to know, and I, I understand you're passionate about the challenges of software security testing. And right. High speeds. Let's let's talk about that. So so what are the challenges then of high speed software security testing? So when you look at software security testing, the way it's been done over the last decade or two, it's been a security driven um, process that comes at some place during the development life cycle. Usually uh, two weeks before it has to go to production, which is way too late. In more mature organization, it comes earlier, sometimes in the QA phase. But what happens is the R&D delivers a sort of a version, the security team tests it, whether it's a static analysis or an external pen test, it doesn't even matter what the technology is, but it takes some time. Um, usually if it's a static analysis, they'll go through some false positive tweeting and things like that. And then they deliver back a PDF reports to the developers, which now go about fixing everything or the high and critical or whatever the corporate or policy is. Or, or nothing. nothing. Yeah. Um, but this process, it's not great, but it's sort of working. But it's working when you have slow-paced development. When you launch a version or go to production once in three or six months, um, but as we look into faster development, this is becoming harder, right? So, you know, a few years ago, everybody talked about Agile and Scrum in three-week uh, long cycles. But now, with CI and, and more importantly, with CD, continuous delivery, we're looking at organizations that are pushing on their cloud updates at the speed of hundreds a day, thousands a day sometimes. And in this world, the process I just described it, it just doesn't work, it breaks. So there are different ways organizations are trying to go about it, but all of them that are trying to do what they did before only faster, it just breaks. So they only tested every few cycles. So then you got a lot of stuff in production that hasn't been tested at all, yeah. or they only test for the most critical vulnerabilities as part of the regular flow. So they don't get those and then the later uh, they do the rest but we really need to shift the way we're working right everybody talks about shift left it's the new it's, it's the new the, cool thing here it's the new cool thing but 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 realistically it is what we have to do not because of the left there is no more left in a CICD world there's all you know this like <laughs> infinity nice um, matrix but it's about moving security testing as part of the continuous effort of the development team mm -hmm. to building their software. 
So what does that look like then? How do we how do we make that that? So that sounds like a it sounds like a good thing. It sounds like a great principle that we should follow. But how do we make that actionable for people? So we need new technologies, um, and we need technologies that are much more streamlined into whatever the developers are doing anyway. So it comes in, in a few forms. First of all, anything that does a test that works for hours or even half an hour, that's already bad. <laughs> it needs to be something that happens in the background as you code, as you test, whatever you do. Um, and it needs to be something that gives you the results as part of the developer workflow, yeah. right? If, if I want the developer to look at a PDF report or another UI, it's gone. Yep. It has to be something that's completely streamlined. So part of the things I'm working on is, are things where we are bringing, for instance, static analysis to be something that works like a spell checker yep. in your IDE and gives you the results in a, uh, in a bar in your IDE, right? Because that's yep. in your development workflow. And yeah, that's something I've been, I've been preaching quite heavily is static analysis has been broken forever in the idea of, and I was at Cisco for 10 years, we had static analysis, I'm sure they still do, but it was static analysis of nightly builds, and do you want to know how big of a pain in the neck that is to actually work with? It's almost impossible. Static analysis belongs in the IDE, just like you said with the spell checker. I should be coding along, and I do something, and bing, pops up a little thing that says, I don't know if you really want to do that, you know, and maybe it's the, the uh, you know, 2001 kind of <laughs> message that pops up and tells yeah. you, you know. I don't think so. I see you're trying to uh, write a SQL injection. Do you need help with that? Yes. Yeah, but but really what we're... So, but there is another side of that, right? We all want it to be like a spell checker. But the reality is that static analysis is a complex technology and not everything can be done with a spell checker. Yeah. So we need to find the right balance. We need to get as much as we can early on in the IDE, but we also need to do things that can happen later in the build as you integrate all the pieces together. Sure. But even that, I want to feed that back to the developer. So when he opens the code the next morning and you know it ran in the build, it still shows up on his IDE that this is the problem that they found yesterday. I used to preach for Jira integration, yep. but this is, I mean, Jira integration is, is last year's, and, and, and it's still good in some cases, of course, but I really want to see it in the IDE. I really want to see it yeah. as I code. Yeah, I mean, and sometimes with Jira integration too, you can end up, you drop 10,000 Jira defects or something, and it's like, <laughs> what are we gonna do with this? But that's a different story. You Part of the challenge is that and, and I work for a vendor today, right? But part of the challenge we have to go through is getting results that are far more actionable. Yeah. Right? Yeah, we tend, to, we tend as an industry to value quantity over quality. Like, and and I, I, the last time I evaluated tools was a few years ago, and there was still a, a quantity over quality kind of a metric. And, and me personally, I don't really care about the quantity. It's all, I want that one page version because I know developers, I work with developers all the time. You give them anything more than the one page version, they're, they're gonna just look at you and say, no thanks. So it's, it's an interesting discussion. So when I started my, my product company, I had your approach. I just wanna show them the really highest critical exploitable vulnerabilities. But what we found out as we went to customers is 
some customers appreciate it. Others feel like, but why aren't you showing me all that stuff that they was out there? And they want their money's worth. It's like, oh, we, we did a, a benchmark between you and two more products, and you know they found more stuff. Yeah, of course they found more stuff. I'm trying not to overflow you, but the market has its you know its own needs, and not all the security experts always think the same. And so True. we need to be able to give the customer the the right way to tune that. So we can find everything, but we can prioritize it correctly. And then, you know, as a customer, you can have this bar, sliding bar, and say, oh, I just want the really exploitable ones, or show me everything, or show me yeah. something in the middle. And, and this is an area where we have to work, too. After the break, Ofer addresses I asked and how it fits into the developer flow. The Application Security Podcast operates with support from Security Journey. A security belt program provides the three pillars of successful AppSec training, learning, application, and experience. Visit us on the web at www.securityjourney.com to learn how you can teach and empower your developers using a new kind of security training. Ofer has been talking about developers and security now he picks up with a discussion about I asked and how that fits in with the developer. So the other, the other part, which is obviously very close to my heart because it's what I've been doing for a lot of time, is um, what we call I asked or interactive application security testing, but essentially dynamic testing that happens, again, in the background. So we don't want to have a dedicated testing window and, and launching tons of requests and occupying a test server. We want something that sits on the server and analyzes the application as it's running yep. and finding vulnerabilities. And this is becoming ever more so important with more and more customers moving away from the whole notion of a test environment or a testing window. <laughs> what we see is that a lot of these CD shops they just do a very intense A, B, or A, B, C, D testing yep. where there's just one environment that has a lot of instances and every new feature gets rolled out to maybe one server at first with a very small portion of uh, internal employees being routed to that and then it slowly propagates. And there is no more room for a dedicated test automation window and things like that. And so we, we need to adapt, again, our technologies to support that. It has to be something that happens in the background, that happens as we go. And then once we have that, once we have static analysis and dynamic analysis that are fully streamlined into, um, into your workflow, we can still add the deeper ana analysis, a full pen test and things like mm -hmm. that that come at certain intervals. Yep to make sure we haven't missed anything or, well, not anything, but to further find things that may have slipped through the cracks, but we still get the majority and the core of the things through that. Yeah, and, and so I'm, I'm also a big proponent of IAST and RASP and using these server-side technologies to be able to detect things. My fear, and I've started to hear some people that are going in this direction, is it's the, it's the firewall of the days of old where it's like, we, oh, we have a firewall, so we don't need to worry about SQL injection. Or, you know, in the days of old is we don't have to worry about that because we have a firewall. Well, if you do the same mentality with IAST and RASP, you're going to be in trouble. Like, I don't want my RASP to be the first line of defense against SQL injection. I want it to be the last, where it saves my butt at the last second and 
then I can trace back and figure out what else did I miss or where, where did my process break down. I don't know if you're seeing the same or you heard any of those same type of grumblings. So it's, it's of course, a challenge. But I, w- I want to go one step back. I think there's a lot of confusion in the market and the industry between IAST and RASP. Mm-hmm. They agree. are mm-hmm. often put in the same bucket because they use fundamentally the same uh, core analysis, which yep. is instrumentation. But they're really very different technologies, they're very different solutions mm-hmm. because IAST is a testing solution mm-hmm. and RASP is a protection. Yep. And so it's like mm-hmm. saying DAST and WAF are the same thing because they both look at HTTP requests and responses, yep. right? RASP is supposed to see attacks even when they go after maybe non-vulnerable places, whereas IAST looks at vulnerabilities, two different things. Um, so IAST is in no way creating a problem because it's just another way of testing in order to fix things in in your code. I do agree that in some places people say, mm-hmm. oh, I have RASP, you know, I'm secure now, I don't need to fix or I have time to fix. Um, I think from a risk management perspective, it's fine to make a decision where if I have RASP, I can take more time to fix things. Yep. I think saying I have RASP, I don't need to fix things is a wrong approach. Uh, but you know, there's always going to be that, and it's the same with everything. It's the same with firewalls. The same with any protection. Does protection make fixing redundant? I don't think so. Security needs to come in layers. Yeah, um, and, and I love the fact that you brought that back to the risk management side. Like, I, I wish our industry all had that perspective where, because it, it is ultimately always risk management, it's a business decision. Everything we do in security, but we tend to think about, well, no, we're the security professionals and we're the, we, we're the answer to any of the problems. No, the business has to make the decision, ultimately. Yeah. And, and the security is someone who enables the business to make the best possible decision, not the other way around. Yeah, and, and you know, let's say you've, you, know, you have 500 cross-site scriptings in your application, and your developers say, well, to fix that, I need to not release new features for the next three weeks. That's not good. So say, okay, I'll put RASP, and then I'll put it in the backlog to fix them over the next four months as, as we do other things. You know, that's a reasonable decision to make. Cross-site scripting, as long as, especially if it's reflected, is not that dramatic risk, and I have something to reduce it. It's fair enough. Yep. No, that makes sense. Okay, let's uh, let's transition and talk a little bit a little bit about the world of OWASP since we're at AppSec EU in London here, and uh, maybe you hear the bells ringing in the background. I mean, we're we're down we're down in central London right now, and uh, so I understand you have some type of an announcement that you're going to make here about your involvement in the OWASP universe. What does that look like? So I've been involved in OWASP for the past 15 years, pretty much ever since it started. Uh, I've done a bunch of roles. I was the chapter leader of Israel. I was part of the global committees when they were still intact. And now I've decided to run for the OS board in the upcoming elections. Okay. And when is that election going to be? Uh, it's going to be in the fall. They're going to release the calendar next week. Okay. And then we'll see exactly when the elections are. But generally, OS switches half of its board every year. Yep. So four people one year, three the other. This year is going to be three spots, I think. Okay. And so... I will run. Okay. And uh, you've had some involvement with the OWASP Israel. Is it OWASP Tel Aviv is the chapter or is it OWASP Israel? It's OWASP Israel. So Israel is geographically a pretty small country. Yeah. Uh, you can drive 
from Tel Aviv to anywhere in Israel within four hours. And every the majority of the population lives within two hours of Tel Aviv. So we figured it doesn't make sense to have more than one chapter in Israel. Okay. Um, so I was the chapter leader for OSP Israel for a lot of years. I've helped build the community. Uh, OSP Israel is very community oriented. Uh, we don't, a, a lot of the people that participate and come to our events and meetings are not necessarily paying members, but our annual conference brings over 600 people every year, yeah. um, which is uh, one of the largest regional events. We have over 1,200 people on our mailing list. And it's a very active chapter. Um, and it's been good for many years. I've, I've done that for a few years. I stepped down. I feel like there's room for change, just like the board now is limited for four years. So uh, I'm still helping the OSP Israel chapter, but there are new people and doing things. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a good approach to, it's, it's all about succession leadership all the time in everything that we do. How do we bring in new people that'll push things, push more boundaries than we do in our role in, in something right now? Exactly. Um, and there was, I know there was a little bit of, um, there, there was a, an issue with the APSEC EU conference as far as it was supposed to be in Israel and, and for this year it got moved to London. Um, I heard there was some good news that came out of some of the proceedings here at EU right now as far as things in the future. Do you have a, any insight on that? Yeah, so I, I was at the board meeting uh, yesterday. Um, there's been a decision going forward to change this whole notion of just AppSec EU or AppSec US, we want to have more global events okay. uh, and with less strong regional tying. In any case, starting next year, there will be at least three striving to four global events every year. And one of them next year will be in Tel Aviv instead of this year. Um, there were some misunderstandings along the way. There were some problems, but we're putting all that behind us and we'll have a great event and everybody's invited to come. It'll be beautiful weather and it will be by the beach. Aha, well that's, uh, that's you already got my attention there and I'll be sure to submit something for the CFP just for the fact that uh, to be a part of that event kind of as, as OWASP expands here into more, even more global events, I think that's awesome. Uh, thanks for being with us to share your perspectives on the challenges of testing and uh, we wish you good luck in your run for the board seat here. Um, you're a front runner in my mind right now. So uh, thank you for taking the time and sharing with our audience. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Application Security Podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please do us a favor and visit the iTunes store and give us a five-star rating. Our intro music is 8-Bit Kung Fu by Bourne and TJ, and the outro is Southern Delight by Stefan Kartenberg. You can find us on Twitter at AppSecPodcast or on the web at www.appsecpodcast.org.